All right, we're going to do things just a little different today. We're actually studying from the Lord's Prayer, and rather than me just read it, I'd like us to pray it together. Not just say it, pray it. The words will be on the screen, and I just would encourage you to direct your thoughts and intentions towards your Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. So we're studying prayer. And to this point, we have developed a fairly, over the last several weeks, we've developed a fairly extensive doctrine or perspective or, or understanding of prayer. If you go back and listen to the sermons over the last several weeks that have been preached to this point, You'll have all kinds of information about prayer. You'll have all kinds of answers to questions about prayer. You'll have answers to the who's, what's, when's, where's, and why's of prayer. But here's the thing. It doesn't help us necessarily actually pray. It does. It, it, it gives us some understanding as we go to prayer, but it doesn't help us pray. In this context, as Jesus is, is teaching the Lord's Prayer from, from Matthew, he's actually teaching this to a large group of disciples in, in one large prayer. He wants his people to understand how to pray. In the, in the parallel passage in Luke, his disciples have come to him. Jesus is, is praying and his disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray. And again, he gives them the same, essentially the same thing. Two different occasions, two different understand, or two different times, two different groups of people, essentially. And he comes and he says, these are the ways that you are to pray. These are the things that should inform your prayer. You see, the reality is, I don't think that we could have studied prayer from every area in the Bible and, and come to a place and walked away from it and come to a place without having dealt with the Lord's Prayer. I think it's unwise. If Jesus thought so intentionally and intently about this, that in every point that he's teaching somebody to pray, he shows them to pray this way, I think it'd be unwise if we walked away from our study of prayer this summer without having gone through the Lord's Prayer. Now, there are many traditions that are going to tell you that they're going to bring you together, they're going to stand, and part of their liturgy is going to be to read through the prayer together, kind of like we did. But here's what happens in many of those traditions. Maybe you grew up in one of those, and I hope I'm not offensive or offending anyone. I just think the reality is is that the, that most people, as they grow up in those kind of traditions, tend to recite the prayer without really even giving it any thought, and it becomes just something we do, and it's just wrote and memorized, and we, we kind of pass over the words without even thinking of them. I don't want us to make that mistake. See, because I don't think Jesus was giving us a prayer to simply pray. I don't think he was giving us a script to follow. I think that when Jesus taught us to pray in this way and then repeated it and taught us again to pray in this way, I think what he's doing is building uh, for us principles that should inform what we pray, what we ask for, how we approach God and what we ask while we're there. So I want us to spend the next several weeks really breaking this out and, and going through it, understanding the principles of God's prayer requests or Jesus' requests and petitions. See, because he wasn't praying this prayer. In fact, we never see him pray this prayer. He teaches it, and he teaches it again, but he never says, he never says the word specifically himself. In each of these, in each of these petitions that he gives us as a principle to help us know what to pray for. 
Now, before we dig into each one or begin digging into those, I want you to recognize the structure of the prayer. In the prayer, there are six petitions. The first three of those are broken out into prayers asking God to act as God. So he's asking himself, <laughs> you guys don't want to hear this go off the rest of them. He's asking us, he's telling us to ask God to act on his own behalf. How many of us pray that way? I mean, really think about it. How many of us really sit and ask God to, hey, God, would you make yourself known? Would you make sure your will is done? Would you make sure that your kingdom comes? Would you do these things, God? You see, I think, I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I think, having grown and, and matured in my own prayer life, I can see how much of my prayer life was dominated not by what God was doing, but what I wanted Him to do for me. You see, and Jesus says, no, don't pray like that. Pray and be concerned about your life and about the things that happen, but they matter because who you are in Christ matters. Who you are to God matters. You see, all six of these requests, the first three being of God, about God, the second three being of God, about us, they're all intertwined. They're, they're connected. You see, it matters what happens to us here. It matters that but my needs are met. It matters that, that He protects me. It matters that I'm provided for, not because I'm just, because I'm Seth. No, I would tell you, I'm pretty important to myself. But it matters because I'm a child of God. You see, His glory, His will, and His kingdom are tied up in His people. Not an individual, but us together. So as we pray, as we come to God, the idea is that we're never so focused only on God that we deny ourselves. And we're so focused on ourselves that we deny what God is about doing. And then He begins to break it out. He begins to show us how to pray. And when Jesus shows us how to pray, I don't think He's teaching us to pray maybe prayers. Now, I don't think He's teaching us to pray, pray prayers that might get answered positively, that He might respond to positively. I think Jesus is teaching us to pray God-moving, circumstance-changing, miracle-causing prayers. I want to pray that way. When I pray, I want God to move. I want Him to answer positively. I want Him to respond. I want to see His power. Do you want to pray that way? I hope you want to pray that way. Because I don't think Jesus intended for us to pray in this form or in this fashion and not see God move and not see miracles happen. I'm tired of talking about prayers that go unanswered. I'm tired of hearing people say, God doesn't hear me. Brothers and sisters, I want this church to be a people who pray and see God move, who are known by the power of God flowing in and through us. I want us to call on God and to see Him answer and to be able to point to it and say, He did that. And I believe the fact that we're even sitting in this room is a fact of that. It's the reality of that. The, the very fact that we are a church is a result of that. The very fact that we can say we're growing is a result of God moving. I want you to see it. 
And I want you to hold on to it. And I want you to beg for more of it. That he might be glorified. That he might be known. You see, I think this is the way Jesus wants us to pray. It's the way I long for prayer in my own life. And I hope it's the way that you long to pray. You see, as, as I think about this and as we move into this, I think the reality is that when we learn to pray like Jesus is teaching us to pray, every prayer we offer, we'll see a response from God. That there will not be a moment when we pray like Jesus prayed that we will wonder why He doesn't hear us. And I've thought about this a lot. I've thought over and over, should you really say that? Should you, should you put that out there? Should you make such a crazy claim? And I've thought about it a lot this week even, especially as I prepared for the sermon. See, earlier in the week, as about Monday or Tuesday, I got notice from a friend of mine that I used to work with in aviation, and she had asking for prayer. Her 15-year-old nephew, his, his home had been broken into, and the person who broke in shot his dad and killed him. He somehow knew what was going on. He pushed his sister back into the room so that he wouldn't be, she wouldn't be seen. <clears throat> and this man that broke in, turns from shooting and killing his father to, t- to him, and he shoots this 15-year-old boy in the face. And I know I'm not the only one praying this week. I know I'm not the only one concerned about this because she's asked. I saw where she's asked many, many people to pray. And then I received word yesterday That he had passed away. Man, as I thought about this sermon, and as I worked to bring this to a close, I, I, I wondered, can I say this? But as I looked at this text, and I looked at the heart and the intent of this prayer, I am more confident than ever. That as we pray, as Jesus has told us to pray, we will see God work. And He says to us, He says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. See, we have no indication as Jesus looked at this, as, as He taught us, as He, as He told us who to address in prayer. We know, we have no indication that Jesus is, is telling us to pray to angels or patron saints of this or that. I mean, there's patron saints for everything. There's a patron saint for fireworks. There's a patron saint for the internet. Jesus doesn't say pray to them. He says pray to your Father in heaven. See, there really is no indication of Scripture that, that anything, any, any prayer should be uttered other than to God. In fact, the whole biblical perspective, the whole biblical view of what prayer is about is that our prayer should be offered up to God 
In fact, just let me give you an example. When, 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 when Elijah was facing the prophets of Baal and there was this showdown on top of a mountain, the, the prophets of Baal, they're cutting themselves, they're dancing around, they're chanting these prayers, and, and Elijah's standing over there making fun of them. Oh, maybe Baal went to relieve himself. Maybe he's sleeping, taking a nap. He'll, he'll get around to it. Keep going, keep going. But when Elijah, when it comes time and Elijah steps forward and he, and he looks up to the heavens, he, he doesn't cry out in vast and, and just full of words. He cries out to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he says, glorify yourself. You know what happens? Fire falls from heaven and burns up not only the sacrifice, but the altar is sitting there. You see, our prayers, in fact, the reality is we, we, we can pray to all kinds of things and all kinds of people dead and alive. But a prayer offered to anyone other than the God in heaven might as well be said to the ceiling in your room. You can stand on the side of a mountain and shout into empty space. If you are not addressing the God in heaven, your prayer is powerless, empty. Calling on God our Father is the cornerstone of powerful prayer. It's the cornerstone. It's, it's the very beginning of it. It's, it's where it finds all of its, 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 its uh, design and its instruction, its, its power. It's all rooted in the fact that we are calling on a God in heaven who doesn't just say, I'm God. He says, I'm Father. You see, in Christ, we have been given access and think back, think back for those of you that were here, think back to Ephesians. One of the beauties of the, of the work that God has done in Jesus Christ is that He actually gave us access to Him. We were distant. We had no connection. We had no relationship. But now we have this access in Christ. We have access to the one who said, let there be light, and it's shown. Who said, this is going to be where the water is, and it will go no further. This is where the dry land's going to be. And, and, and honestly, he said, this is what a man's going to look like. This is what a woman's going to look like. And he put his life in us. And he said, you're created in my image. You see, this God, this, this creator and this sustainer, the one that holds it all together, that said, as long as the springtime and harvest endured, he We'll sustain it. You see, that's the God that we've been given access to. That's the God who, who we can walk into and in and, 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 and whose throne room we are given access. But here's the beauty. Here's what's so special about this is that you don't enter that throne room as a court jester or just some attendant. In Christ, you have been dubbed princes and princesses of the kingdom. You get that? See, you're no, you're not just somebody standing there. You're not just somebody looking on. You belong to him. You belong to his line. You're his child. Sam Storms, the pastor in the Acts 29 network, and at, every year at our conference, he opens, or at least every year that I've been there, he opens with this intentional time of prayer. This year is just phenomenal. This year, as he led us through this extended, these extended moments of prayer together, he kind of referenced one, uh, Psalm 147, verse 9. It says that he gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. He, being God, gives to the beast its food and the young ravens that cry. And then Sam looks up at us and he says this. 
God gives to the ravens when it cries. No raven last time I checked was created in the image of God. No raven was redeemed by the blood of Christ. No raven is filled with the Holy Spirit. No raven is invited to the throne of grace. Yet God gives to them when they cry. Will He not hear your cries? Oh yeah, He'll hear your cries. Because you are created in the image of God. Because you have been invited to the throne room of grace. Because you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Because He looks at you and He says, You are my child. That's the cornerstone and the power of our prayer. Yes, He's going to hear your prayers. And as we present our requests, not just one of them, but all of them, as we present our requests... We have His attention. He hears us. He looks on us. He sees us. He's intimate with us. He's, he's paying attention. He hears us. Father, hallowed be Your name. Father, bring Your kingdom. Father. You see, it's every prayer. Jesus didn't say Father just for hallowing Your name. He's, he's saying that everything we ask, everything we come to God with, every request we make, we bring to our Father. Father, give us our daily bread. Father, protect us. Father, forgive us. You see, that's the cornerstone. That's the power. That's the source of it. That's where it begins. But we need to make something clear. Calling God Father doesn't really work for everyone. It's not as if just throwing this name out there. As if saying and looking to God, you've never cared about God, don't think of God, don't, don't have any concern for God in your day-to-day life. But all of a sudden, Father, it's almost, like, it's almost like if my sons were to come to me and say, you're such an amazing dad. What do you want? They don't ever say that stuff to me. Well, that's not true. I'm a pretty great dad, and they do say it some. Let's just make that clear. I can't go to him, and I don't have God wrapped around my little pinky. Oh, God, and bat my eyes at him. Oh, Father. Powerful prayers. Powerful prayers won't just call God Father. They will be His children. You see, there's different perspective you need to take a look at this from. We're not going to be able to powerfully uh, pray by, by giving God some title. We've actually got to be related to Him. We've got to, we've got to know Him. We've got to be in relationship with Him. It's just like a, a, a kid of yours, one of your children, can, can run up to me, Dad, Dad, do this for me. I'm looking at that kid, wait a minute, what? I've got two boys. And my, my fatherly responsibility, my fatherly duty extends to them. They can call me dad and father. Do I love your kids? Yes. Am I concerned for your kids? Yes. I want the best for them. But you know what? My fatherly responsibilities stops with my two. As, as your children's parents, they belong to you. God doesn't recognize illegitimate children. He has no illegitimate children. You see, the thing is, is that this God, 
This God, he's not a God who's dad by default. He's not a God who accidentally became a father. It's not like he was a high schooler that got caught in trouble and, oh, now I'm dad. No, it was intentional. He chose it. He chose the title for himself. We would have no understanding or idea that God is a father except he said, I am father. Otherwise, all we would simply be able to do is look at him as our justifier and the one who forgave us. He's the one who came to us and said, I am your father and you are my children. See, that's how we know. It's, it's not, it's not anything but that. But, but if we come to God and we are not His and we, we act like His and we want to make everybody believe that we're His, if, if we just come to Him, if we're not a child of God, we cannot pray with confidence. All we can do is make wishes. And I bring this up really to bring us to a place where you have to deal with something. Right now. And that you don't leave this building today without dealing with this. Are you a child of God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death in your place for your sins? Have you been forgiven? See, because these are all wrapped up in one. When you believe in Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. And I don't want you to do that simply to become a powerful prayer. But I promise you, not on my word, but on His, when you trust Christ as His offspring, as His brother before God the Father, as a prince and princess in the kingdom, when you pray, God, will hear, and God will respond. It's not so much just about who we pray to, although that's hugely important. It's the cornerstone. What are we praying for? We'll really only be able to deal with the first of these requests today. He says, hallowed be your name. I think we often approach this phrase in the Lord's Prayer really just as part of that salutation. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Almost as if it's all lumped together and, and, and it, you know, we just kind of breeze past it. Let's get to what we're asking. But the reality is this is, this is a petition. It's a request. It's, it's us asking God, that first request, asking God to do something for himself. Father, it's the cornerstone. And here comes the foundation hallowed be your name. See, essentially, Jesus is teaching us to glorify himself or to ask God to glorify himself. He's, he's, he's saying that when you pray, come to God and say, God, whatever you're going to do, make sure it's about your glory first. And we're not giving God permission to have his glory. He doesn't need our permission. He's going to be glorified. He'll either be glorified because he's just or he'll be glorified because he's merciful. He's going to be glorified. He doesn't need our permission. Hallowed be your name is a request for God to reveal and prove his worthiness of worship. It's us asking us, asking God to show his glory. Show it. Make it known. Make yourself famous. Make sure people don't miss you. Make sure people can see you. Again, he doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need you to say, well, all right, God, now it's time for you to glorify yourself. 
This is less about us moving God and more about us moving ourselves in line with God. Andrew Murray says that he calls this the the chief end in prayer, the very purpose for which prayer exists, that the final result of all real, real prayer, all authentic, genuine prayer should be about God's glory. We see Jesus doing this routinely. This is a normal part of his everyday life, just simply pointing glory back to the Father. I didn't come for myself. I came to glorify God. I didn't come to, to make a name for myself. I came to, came to tell you what he's all about. Constantly pointing glory back to the Father, especially as he gets close to the cross. And one example of that, John 12, 27 through 28 says, Now is my soul troubled. He's facing the cross. He knows what's coming. Now is my soul troubled. You're not going to hear about this in prosperity gospel. You see, he's carrying a weight. There's a difficulty here. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from the cross. Save me from the price I have to pay for the sins of your people. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When he said those words, when he prayed that prayer, a voice from heaven spoke. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus wasn't looking for an easy way out. He wasn't trying to manipulate His Father in heaven. He wasn't batting His eyes at Him by calling Him Father. He He wasn't trying to get God to act on His behalf or do something different. His first desire, no matter what the cost was for Him, He was more concerned for God's glory. In fact, if you look at this, that in one sense he was more concerned for the glory of God than his own physical well-being. But on the other hand, he knew that God's glory was the best thing that could happen to him and to the people that he came to die for. God's glory is more important than any of the circumstances. Let me just tie this back in just for a second with that prayer I told you about this earlier this week as I've been praying for this boy and hearing about his death. He, I think you see, I, I don't even really know him well. But evil in this world breaks my heart. The suffering that people deal with, man, it causes me pain. And I won't lie, when, when I found out he had died, I... I struggle. But God knows that boy. God knows that family. And God can even take the most evil of circumstances. He proved it in the cross. He can take the most evil of circumstances and demonstrate the power and majesty of His glory. So as I come from that prayer... I don't say, God, where were you? I say, God, Father, glorify Yourself. Be glorified. And I am confident. I I, I have His promise that He will. See, when we desire God's glory first, our prayers are infused with His power. 
You see, we don't have to lean on our own understanding. We don't have to count on ourselves anymore. We don't have to have all the answers. When we desire His glory first, you can know He will be glorified. I will glorify myself and I will do it again. Praise God we can count on that. Praise God because that's the consistency in the mess that we live in. God will be glorified. Thank you, Father, that I can know that. Thank you, Father, that as I go to bed wondering why, I know that you are going to bring yourself glory, that he won't die in vain. Father, please glorify yourself. I can count on his power. And one last perspective I think we need to consider as we think about asking the Father to be glorified is that asking God to reveal His glory is the same as asking Him to do what glorifies Him most. That means saying no when we're not concerned for His glory. That means holding things back from us when it doesn't give Him glory. That means sometimes allowing us to suffer that we might understand His glory more fully. And sometimes that means that He showers you with blessings because in it you see His glory. Some things He'll stand in opposition to, He'll fight for, He'll he'll push back against. But when we ask God to reveal His glory, we must know that we are asking Him to do what glorifies Him most, knowing that that's what's best for us. John Calvin said this in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He wrote quite extensively on prayer. I would commend that to any of you. He says the petition, this petition of asking God to glorify Himself, implies a wish that all impiety which pollutes this sacred name may perish and be extinguished, that everything which obscures or impairs His glory, all detraction and insult may cease, that all blasphemy being suppressed, the divine majesty may be more and more signally displayed. You see, God, when we ask our Father to be glorified, we must know there are things we're asking Him not to do. Or asking Him to do that might be difficult for us to deal with. The truth is, when we're asking God to demonstrate His glory, the truth is we're asking Him to reveal in us what is unholy. See, I have a sense. I have a sense that maybe the reason so many of our prayers go unanswered is because we're not concerned with God's glory, but we're more concerned with what makes us comfortable, with what makes us feel safe, with what feeds those idols of our heart, gives us approval in front of men, keeps us from feeling afraid because we don't trust God enough. When we pray without a desire for God's glory, our prayer is always 
will always depend on our own power. And we don't have enough to make these things happen. Truth is, I don't even control this moment I'm standing in. I don't have any say in this moment I'm standing in. I don't have any say in what happens when I leave this building. I can make the best of plans. But I'm not the one that gets to carry them out or make them happen. But if I can make my life, if you can, if, if we can make our lives first about God's glory, then everything we ask will come from that place. I'm not saying we even have to say those words out loud. In fact, most of the prayers of the Bible, they don't have those words said out loud. But as you read those prayers that we see in the Bible, you see them. You, you see them undergirded by this desire for God's glory, for His renown. You see, when that's the motive and the deepest and first desire of our heart, then we can pray, and we can pray powerfully. Psalm 37, 4. It's a verse you're probably all familiar with. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When the desires of your heart are the glory of God, His promise is that you will never be disappointed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, be glorified. Be glorified in our lives together. Be glorified in our lives outside of this room. Be glorified in our hearts when we're... Be glorified when we are alone. Be glorified. Show Your glory that we might see it and experience it and then proclaim it. Amen.